What smells like shoe polish? Be quiet. We have a promo to do. I'm Jeff Ferry, and this is my hetero podcast mate, Chris Durkach. We are the hosts of the Jay and Silent Bob Minute. We break down the Kevin Smith films featuring Jay and Silent Bob one minute at a time, starting with Clerks. I have a hockey game at 12. Chris, please. So if you've ever worked a dead-end job behind the counter discussing Star Wars while slinging coffee, nudie mags, and cigarettes... Cancer merchant! Cancer merchant! Settle down! Or if you ever leaned outside a convenience store, secretly hated all your customers, or closed your place of business to attend a funeral, you should join us at Jay and Silent Bob Minute on DuelingGenre.com as we discuss the milkmaids, berserkers, and the significance of the number 37. In a row? Come for the clerks and stay for the rest of the Jay and Silent Bob Minute fun. Right, Chris? I'm not even supposed to be here today. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Goth Girl Horror, the official Hack Slash podcast. Tonight on the show, we are covering three issues. In fact, it's actually back-to-back uh, episodes that we're covering three issues, because the previous episode, we covered three issues, and we covered, um, what was it? We covered three issues of the Reanimator storyline, and now we're going to do the follow-up, which is Closer, part one, two, and three, which leads into another storyline, which we'll get into at the very end. And joining me for this episode, all the way from the uh, Gin and Comics comic book show, as well as a brand new YouTube channel, we have Jennifer on the show with us to talk with us and to go over the plot synopsis and the issue-by-issue of the comics that we're covering. Thank you for coming on the show with us, Jennifer. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Jennifer, for anyone not familiar with your show and everything you do and anything that you post on uh, Instagram, which is, that's how I found you, it was on Instagram. I think it was, I, I, it had to been comic books and it had to be goth. We liked each other's posts and I was just like, well, there's a woman I need to follow. She has purple hair, tattoos, and is covered in comic books all around her. What's not to love about all of this? Those are honestly some of my favorite things, too. Like, you know, you mentioned it. Comic books, tattoos, beats, Battlestar Galactica, all of it. So, Oh, my um, God. Do you listen yeah. to the Battlestar Galactica podcast with um, Trisha Helfer and Mark Bernardin? No, but I feel like I should. It so <laughs> thank you for greatest. introducing me to that. It is one of my favorite freaking podcasts. Mark Bernardin, you might know from the Kevin Smith podcast, Fat Men on Batman or Fat Man Beyond. And uh, also an EW writer, as well as a writer for um, the Stephen King TV series that's on Hulu, whatever that was called, and um, uh, 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 the uh, the James is Born TV series that's currently on USA. Um, a very prominent African American writer in entertainment, um, and Trisha Helfer, you know her from some TV series called BSG. Um, and they review every episode of Battlestar Galactica together in a podcast, and I'm just like, that's how you do a podcast with. One of the sexiest freaking creatures on the planet doing the podcast with you, <laughs> and she talks it's about probably all... almost a shame that and she it's talk... probably a shame that she's not doing it on video. <laughs> right, 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 right. She talks about all of the best behind the scenes stuff about Star Galactica, and of course she's been on Lucifer recently, so she had like Lucifer people on because they were big fans of Battlestar Galactica as well. So <laughs> it's it is a fun podcast. Uh, only like four episodes in. Uh, but I, I, I gotta catch up. This is the perfect time to catch up. But anyway, enough about that. Talk to the audience a little bit about what your uh, show is about. So 
So a little bit about what I do, and I'm just now starting a, a show on on YouTube, and eventually it'll be a little bit more intensive. Um, comics will break your heart. Um, I think that I, I obviously love comic books. They've been very near and dear to me growing up, finding out who I am, um, and ex- just exploring the world. And so that'll be like my own thing that I've been doing Previously and continuously, I've been working on comic book reviews for the Comic Book Lounge. So you can go to thecomicbooklounge.com and read a couple of reviews there. And I also do some live streaming with um, my friend Dan, um, co-host on the – we do Graphic Novel Book Club – Um, We chat on Wednesdays just talking about what's going on in the comic book industry. In about a a month and a half ago, two months ago, obviously this big quarantine thing happened and we're not really getting new comic books. There's a lot of stuff happening in the comic book industry. So we've mostly over the last month and a half just talked about the comic book industry and just talking about, you know, the comic books that are near and dear to our hearts. We just did an episode this last week on our top sci-fi, top horror. So that was really fun because sci-fi and horror are kind of like my wheelhouse. Um, What's a comic book that you absolutely loathe and a comic book that you absolutely love? So I will go ahead and first I will talk about a comic book that I absolutely love. One of my favorite series is Saga. I think that when it comes to the comic book medium, it is a little bit oversaturated with superhero stories. And I never grew up with superhero stories. I got into Batman more so than any other superhero. But I think that eventually when I was reading comic books, I got what I call superhero fatigue. So I felt like I had read so many superhero stories and a story like Saga is just such a breath of fresh air. We talk about it a little bit um, um, on the video cast that we do, but um, to me, it just defies all genres. I once described it as Romeo and Juliet in space, but that really doesn't even begin to touch how fantastic this story is. Saga is just an incredible story. It's right now in nine volumes. It took a hiatus last year, so hopefully... The COVID-19 quarantine stuff doesn't affect its comeback. Um, so I'm very excited to see Saga. I actually have a, if anyone's familiar with Saga, I have a lion cat tattoo, which is one of the characters in Saga. Um, so I talk about that one a lot. I love Saga. If you haven't read it, then please do, because it's fantastic. But when I think about a series that I don't really care for, I have never been one of those people who like just like trashes a comic book or a movie. I mean, there are some things, but there's not really a comic book that I can think of that I really hated. Um, The only one that I can kind of think of is that um, I just read Lock and Key. And I think that because I went into it thinking that it was going to be a lot more Lovecraftian than it was, and I wasn't in love with the artwork, that it was a little bit of a letdown, but I still enjoyed the story. So I didn't hate Lock and Key, but it was just a little bit overhyped, 
when I read it. Let's see, probably favorite comic of mine. Um, I do love, absolutely love Lock and Key. I read every issue and could not wait till the next one came out. Uh, I thought the TV show was okay. Uh, they t- they needed to take the liberties where they needed to take it. They definitely toned down that show compared to the comics. I mean, for one thing, Mom's alcohol abuse and her attack at the house. She's pretty much she's pretty carefree afterwards. Whereas in the comics, she she had a lot worse done to her, and uh, the, everything else in the comic is just a lot darker. So I, I would say Lock and Key in terms of like independent books. Spider-Man is always my favorite comic book character. Uh, Powers is ending soon, and I've, I've been I've been dying for the end of Powers. Thankfully, it has not been delayed yet due to COVID-19, um, as it wasn't slated to come out until May anyway. So with uh, Diamond reopening, hopefully that, that final Powers story will at long last come out. I thought the television series was the most atrocious thing ever made. Just, oh, good God. I mean, Dita Pilgrim was just the worst thing ever um <laughs> but uh in terms of like comic books i absolutely loathe um uh it has to do with storylines i would say spider-man's story where you find out that uh gwen stacy got knocked up with norman osborne's goblin babies is pretty bad spider-man reign where you find out that his uh spider spunk has ravaged cancer all through mary jane's body <laughs> Storylines piss me off, not nearly as much as comic books do. <laughs> I think a lot of times with some of those beloved characters... They're all sex-related. I just realized that now. Wow, that, what does that say about me? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's... I think that a lot of times, um, kind of going back to that like superhero fatigue, is that um, in comic books especially, we've seen Spider-Man for how many decades now, and he's such a like treasured, beloved character. And I think a lot of times when writers... They get to to write these characters sometimes, um, and obviously Marvel, they're going to think about the bottom line. So a lot of times I think that these storylines get introduced because it's like, let's go ahead and see how far we can push the envelope or, you know, let's go ahead and and do a a reboot on a storyline because people are going to pick up more issues. So sometimes I think that those storylines that we don't really care for, for just those like what just happened, I think that they're more driven by like profit on that end more so than the storyline or the care for the character. Mm, Definitely, definitely. We, of course, both seem to love Battlestar Galactica, but uh, do you know? Do you happen and, and being a a, uh, a geek girl yourself, you know what this year is the 40th anniversary of one of the most important. And honestly, it's always up there as the film people reference in top ten. The film that people always talk about in terms of like uh, uh, unbelievable uh, uh, filmdom. Uh, what what is this? The 40th anniversary of this year. <laughs> There's enough I'm going to play of that because I don't want to be sued by Disney. But yeah, The Empire Strikes Back okay. celebrates 40 years this year. Wow. And it's always, always... I just watched that CNN at the movies, and that was so much fun to watch because they saved 
it was whatever it was, the sci-fi, oh, it was the 80s episode. They saved the 80s episode. I was like, where's the Empire Strikes Back? And in the last part of the 80s episode of CNN at the movies or whatever was the uh, Millennium Falcon flying away from a Star Destroyer, then playing the Imperial March. And I was just like, yes! And I'm just talking about there's no other film in history that changed the saga, that changed the way we think about movies, more so than the original Star Wars did, than the Empire Strikes Back. And I was just like, yes! And on Clone Wars today... They, uh, I was so happy on Clone Wars today or whatever. It was um, the second to last final episode of Clone Wars, Execute Order 66. That is fantastic. I know um, for sure because Star Wars Day is on Monday, so definitely going to be celebrating that. Right, right. And that's the whole reason I bring this up is that we're not recording on Star Wars Day, but the, uh, the, uh, the time of the, the weekend that we're recording this, it is definitely May the 4th be with you coming up very soon. May the 4th be with you. Yes, and there's a lot of Empire Strikes Back, of course, uh, new merchandise coming out in the new season of The Mandalorian. We also have the documentary of The Mandalorian coming out next week, too. Oh, wow. But enough about Star Wars. We're going to get right into the plot synopsis for these three issues that we're covering tonight. And Jennifer has the plot synopsis for us. We're talking about issues 18, 19, 20, the three-issue arc known as Closer, written by Tim Seeley, art by Emily Stone and Kevin Mellon, colors by Mark Engler, and letters done by Crank. In this three-issue arc, Cassie Hack is getting over just having watched her mother and father die yet again hours before. Vlad is trying to be a good friend to Cassie and possibly even trying to be more than friends. And even though that may not necessarily happen, Vlad is drowning his sorrows while Cassie and Margaret, formerly known as Georgia Peaches, are reconciling their relationships and the feelings that they have for one another. Downstairs at the bar, Vlad is getting attacked by some pretty crazy monsters, some of which feel a little bit familiar. Meanwhile, in Indiana, Chris and Lisa and the ever-adorable Pooch suddenly get attacked by the tusk daughter Kuma. While contemplating her lifestyle after the grim end of her parents, Cassie Hack decides to go to the Jackson Police Department to reveal information that she thinks may help, only to find out that she's actually a wanted suspect. Vlad and Margaret are both trying to figure out their role in Cassie's life, even though she may not even know what that lifestyle looks like for herself. This conversation over pie and milkshakes ends up getting pretty uncomfortable between Vlad and Margaret. Meanwhile at the station, Cassie ends up getting kidnapped, surrounded by porno mags, sex toys, and drugs, and in the hands of the Society of the Black Lamp. She battles her way through these costume jerks, only to be apprehended by Sam Hain himself. The smoking hot Kuma. tusk daughter basically looks like, Kling- you know, like a female Klingon, you know. Yeah, Ugly sure. looking head, 10 out of 10 body. Yeah. Okay. That's an old callback to a. Uh, that's an old callback to a couple of twin sisters that were Constant Thorn and Picard's side on the Next Generation cartoon. They were always wearing the <laughs> most well endowed cleavage heavy looking costumes, but had the <laughs> with like, that like slit in the middle, right? Showing yep. off of the massive chest that they have, but having the worst dental work and bridged foreheads you can imagine, and also constantly mm-hmm. smelling bad. They got blown up pretty fucking good in Star Trek Generations by Riker not putting up with their shit anymore. <laughs> the, oh my goodness, what were their names? The, um, the something and other sisters. 
something sisters. Yeah, I I don't. I'm not really up on my Star Trek lingo. Ro, my co-host on Hammer, is a massive Star Trek fan. She would definitely know who they are. Uh, Baytar, Baytar or something. I think is one of them names. Again, if you know Star Trek people, leave it in the comment section below. Don't at me on Twitter. But if you're a big Star Trek fan and you know the name of the Star Trek twin uh, Klingon hotties, let me know. I'm actually a lot more of a Star Trek fan than a Star Wars fan. Um, That's okay. So. There's no amount. I'll go ahead. I'll say that. That's fine. Not at all. We'll forgive you. Okay. <laughs> Three issues covering a, uh, I wouldn't say a massive story, but it's basically like a, a follow-up story to uh, what happened. Uh, closure. I'm assuming means probably like close, like clo- like the closure Cassie needs about her mother and father. It definitely is an emotional issue because she's going through a lot of this stuff. And we we begin this arc by just seeing her be emotionally drained, physically and emotionally drained. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the first cover, the second cover, the third cover all have like two covers apiece. One has Cassie wielding a knife, uh, which looks like she's in a sewer. And that cover is by Drew Johnson, Paul Wee, and Lizzie John. Uh, that's cover B. I do not have cover A handy. Uh, cover 19, so issue 19, has Cassie walking away from what looks like a serial killer in a garbage can and her baseball bat in the can. This is a recreation of the famous Amazing Spider-Man number 50 cover, which was recreated in the Spider-Man 2 movie starring Tobey Maguire, if you remember. Him saying Spider-Man no more and dropping his costume into the garbage can because he couldn't take it anymore. Do you remember? I Oh, I do not recall. I'm sorry. Uh, you've never saw a Spider-Man 2? that one up. Um, it has been a very long time. Oh, okay. Um, also... Probably about 10 years now. <laughs> that's fine. Um, it, uh, it, it happened again, uh, the, uh, the cover of him, of her, like, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not the cover. I, I apologize. There's a famous scene in Spider-Man, Spider-Man number 50. Uh, going, this, by the way, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 50 was also the first appearance of the Kingpin of Crime, Wilson Fisk. Um, so this is not the cover, the, the, but it's a famous panel. It's a famous John Romita panel of him dropping the costume into the trash can and walking away. And from what I was told, it was the first time a superhero had ever abandoned his identity or his his costume identity uh, for the for the that what he I believed to be the greater good. Um, Spider Man had a lot of first. I mean, he was it was the first time a supervillain had ever unmasked the super superhero before. And learned his secret identity, and and the first time the hero ever gave up his secret identity, you know, his costume identity. So, the third cover of this has a beautiful cover by Eric Jones, and it has Cassie holding what I'm assuming is a decapitated head and a bloody hand, wearing um, a micro mini skirt and a bra, and touching her face. And it's a kind of a black and white, very noirish looking cover. Again, I don't have the alternate covers. Uh, to these, so we will post them on the uh, Goth Girl Horror Twitter page if you want to see what they look like. Um, the first page of issue 18 has a letter by Tim Seeley or Sam Wells here. It says, "Hey, hack slash fans, are you missing something?" And he goes into detail about the various trade paperbacks that were actually published up to this point. One thing I also want to point out is that we move around a lot in the first issue. We go from Emerson's, uh Indiana, where Chris and Lisa live. Fort Smith, Arkansas, Potts Camp, which is the hotel they're staying at, um, and, oh, that's it. But, yeah, this entire story, we're all over the place. Mm -hmm. 
we are all oh, over the, the place. All within couple pages, back and forth between some some of these scenes will even only last uh, a single page. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, big guest stars for this issue happen to be Love Bunny, bonus. Okay, Love Bunny and some guy. Love. I, I do. Okay, there are a couple of cartoony like characters that hang around in the Hack Slash universe. Love Bunny and Mister Hell. I don't know who they are. They're creations of Tim Seeley. Love Bunny uh, is a blonde chick in a pink bunny costume with bunny ears, white gloves. Reminds me of the uh, supervillain, the White Rabbit. She's a Spider-Man villain. And Mr. Hell is this tentacled creature-looking guy. He's one of the people that show up at the bar to attack um, attack uh, Vlad. I'm not overly familiar with who they were. They are. I know they're in a lot of the issues of Hackslash, but that does not make me a huge fan of them. Also, uh, Milk and Cheese show up, who had shown up previously in the uh, the Bump series. Um, Milk and Cheese are kind of like Madman or the Flaming Carrot or the Mystery Men. Are you familiar with any of those? No, I mean I love Milk and Cheese. I just thought was fantastic, but I'm not familiar with the other ones. Have you ever seen the movie Mystery Men? No. Mm-mm. What what is it about? Uh, it's about to, about a bunch of washed up wannabe not washed up, but they're a bunch of like wannabe superheroes, kind of like kick ass. But they're it's a more ridiculous comedy. Um, none of them really have superpowers. Janine Garofalo was in it. Ben Stiller, William H Macy, Paul Rubens. Oh my goodness! You know, I have seen this movie, and I think one hundred percent I've seen this movie. <laughs> Uh, but All you had to do was say is Janine Gar- Garofalo. I absolutely adore her. The one thing I wasn't aware of was that before there was a hack slash, uh, Tim Seeley had created Love Bunny and Mr. Hell. They were like this critically acclaimed duo. Uh, former sidekick Beth Bowers wants to be her own hero, but she's saddled with a sidekick of her own, the demonic, eternally hungry Mr. Hell. And they've actually collected it uh, a couple times, all of the original Love Bunny and Mr. Hell comic strips. So it's just kind of like a comedy pair duo of a hot chick with a demonic entity as her sidekick going around doing superhero stuff. He wants to feast on souls and do demon stuff. She wants to be a smoking hot superhero with a bunny costume. I love it. I'm going to have to check that out. She kind of reminds me of a Playboy bunny trying to be a superhero because the way they draw her is like a Playboy bunny. Oh, for sure. You know, big breasts, tiny waist, ridiculous looking bunny costume. Um... I gotta say, the Holiday Inn Express, um, I've stayed at one before. I'm not entirely sure I would ever stay in the jacuzzi of any hotel I've ever gone to, unless it was a private uh, jacuzzi all to me in my room. Uh, I think jacuzzis are absolutely disgusting and the worst place you could probably catch COVID-19. Oh, for sure. My um, mom, she worked for a hotel, and the stories that I have about people shitting in a jacuzzi, like that will be one place that I will never go, even pre-COVID-19. Now, I will admit that when I was 12 years old, my parents signed me up for um, uh, like extra swim lessons because they wanted me to go to the pool during the summer and the beach and stuff like that. So they wanted to make sure I knew exactly how to swim. And uh, there were elderly people, very young children, and only one other person in my swim class that was actually my age was a 13-year-old girl. So when she invites me into the jacuzzi afterwards at the age of 12, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to admit that I took her up on that offer, not knowing the yeah. disgustingness of jacuzzis, but when a 13-year-old girl when you're 12 years old invites you into the jacuzzi with her, you go. 
I'm sure everyone has done even dumber things for a really cute girl. <laughs> yeah, very, very cute girl. Uh, we we enjoyed our swim lesson together, but it was very funny to uh, to meet some the only other person who was my actual own age in this swim class with a bunch of elderly people and very young children was you know a girl only a year year older than me. The Neff World uh, Assassin um, has such a brief storyline; it's almost kind of a throwaway. I think. Um, I mean, she was kind of like summoned in a previous issue, but it's really, I mean, the way she's dispatched is, or she goes away, I I just, uh, I haven't read these comics in a long time, so I don't remember how how long it takes for her to come back. Uh, Georgia shows up in what looks like the most beat-up version of Bumblebee possible. (laughs) I don't remember Vlad being a big drinker. You know, I think that at one point he does mention something about beer and how it, how it tastes, and he doesn't understand why people drink it. Um, and then he he also mentions he doesn't care for how it makes him feel. All of the people who show up at the bar to confront Vlad, other than um, uh, Love Bunny and Mr. Hell, the only person I recognize is the Toxic Crusader. Oh, yeah. I don't know who any of these people are. I am I going to assume that they are possibly other... Um, copywritten characters that Tim was allowed to borrow for the for the story. Yeah. Like, uh, how, how far can we get away with it? Like, he probably consulted a lawyer at one point. Like, how far detached do I have to be from this superhero to make it like it, but not? Yeah, but, and he could easily call Lloyd Kaufman and ask to borrow the Toxic Crusader. <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman yeah. is all about that promotion. He'll let you borrow the Toxic Crusader for, you know, almost anything. Um you want to make a fan film with the Toxic Crusader? Give Lloyd Kaufman a call. <laughs> Sounds like Nicolas Cage. He'll do anything, right? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't think Nicolas Cage owns any copyrights to any characters like Lloyd Kaufman does with trauma films. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so this brings up an interesting relationship question. Have you ever been best friends with somebody and you start dating somebody and you start including that dating person more into your life than your best friends have let on that they enjoy, especially a certain BFF? Oh, for sure. I mean, I can definitely think that. I mean, it hasn't happened in a very long time, but when not only have I believe I've been on that side, but I think that it's also happened to me. Like I've had several friends in high school, like I started dating someone and I started to see them less or vice versa. They started to date someone. I started to see them less. And I think that there's always that, like, you hate their their partner because of it, because they're taking away your best friend. Yeah, true. Um, How, what about you? Uh, yes and no. I think I have been that guy and then eventually the girlfriend I was dating just didn't include me into that part of her life anymore um, to keep the two things separate which eventually just started kind of grating on me because it just felt like I was being left out of everything. Vlad's conflict is that he doesn't, he clearly has uh, feelings for he clearly has feelings for Cassie that he will never get reciprocated back to him. And now Cassie is interested in somebody else that she would share those feelings with, sexual feelings, and that is bothering Vlad. Because Vlad is not that much older than Cassie. Cassie, Vlad is in his, Vlad is a young adult, just like Cassie is. Mm -hmm. He just looks like a giant monster. And especially when you think about 
a lot of times what bonds people together can be trauma, whether that's healthy or not. They've obviously been through a lot of traumatic situations. So I think that there is an element of jealousy and an element of um, Vlad feels like he's entitled to Cassie in some way, like they because they have such a um, a history. Yeah, they've been through it uh, thick and thin, and they're going to uh, deal with a lot more in the uh, coming uh, issues of the uh, of the series because we're still in like 2009, so we got a long ways to go mm-hmm. before um, something super big really does happen between the two of them. But uh, this this is where Cassie and Georgia's relationship really goes to that next level. However, now Georgia has to to uh, correct Vlad later on that they don't actually uh, Cassie and Georgia do not have sex. No, and. It, there, it, there is a very like intimate moment, and at first, when when you read it, it, when you see the situation between them, like you see that it's an intimate moment, and it's like, do they or don't they? Did something happen? And you're right, she does say, well, we didn't, you know, go all the way, but let's not talk about it. So she quickly changes the subject. Uh, Georgia had been introduced early on uh, in the beginning of the volume one of the of the hack slash. Um, so this is her first uh, reappearance since then, but she's been on the phone with Cassie ever since then, uh, trying to console Cassie. I am um, I always get in trouble for saying this, but I am not the biggest pooch fan. Oh, that breaks my heart a little bit because I feel like I love I. And I do have a soft spot in my heart if for these characters in comics anyways that are just kind of those comic relief characters and any, like, talking animal I feel like I gravitate towards. I feel the opposite. Pooch is one of my favorites. I think it's pretty funny that Kyle is able – sorry, not Kyle. Um, uh, sorry, yeah, Kyle. Kyle is able to still be somewhat of a badass with a missing arm. I don't know about you, but I would be uh I would definitely not be up to help anybody with one of my arms missing and I'm still bleeding too by the way. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, cuz he's he's fighting the um her, her name is Kuma, the um tusk daughter, um and you just he really is. He goes at it. George, uh Cassie tries to offer uh Vlad a peace offering in the van. Um, after saying that, oh, he'll be fine there all night while we have sex, and Vlad is not, he is not dealing with his feelings very well. Of course, he's also getting picked on at the bar, you know, being told he looks like asphalt. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and then we go, we get to, um, we switch over to Mont- Laurel, Montana, where we find out the, the, the police have uh, information from a psychic about uh, Kathy Hack, and they think that she is responsible for all these horrible murders that are happening. Uh, Kyle is unfortunately killed through the tusk through the face, and we get our first appearance of the serial killer Sam Hain, who uh, becomes a big important character in the Hack Slash mythos uh, going forward, and also becomes one of the only two men that I believe Kathy sleeps with. I, I've always been conflicted on how to pronounce his name because Sam Hain is uh, a pagan holiday, but I don't know if it's um, what European language is in, but it's pronounced Samhain. Um, yeah, but they definitely language. write it. They definitely write it oh. as Sam Hain, H-A-I-N. For sure. So every time I would read this, I would read it as Samhain, and I'm like, no, his name is Sam Hain. I thought that was perfect. 
How are you feeling about the artwork compared to Emily Stone? Because I'm not a big, uh, not I'm not a huge fan of Kevin Mellon's artwork. Um, so I've read a couple. I forget which what other issues she had done that I have read recently. Are you ta- wait? Um, you're talking about I Emily think- Stone. Mm-hmm. Emily Stone. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure which ones that I have read, but I really and I cannot credit this to either the colorist, um, but I think that. Um, the way that she draws lines, I really enjoyed, and there was some really good shading. So when, I can't necessarily pinpoint that particular artwork style to the colorist or to uh, her artwork, but um, I definitely did prefer her artwork to some of the artwork I, I saw in this issue. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I don't. I don't say. I'm not saying his artwork is bad. I just. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, the scene where Cassie's in jail with the other women. Um, who one of them I'm assuming is a prostitute and a larger woman who I'm not really 100% sure why uh, Cassie, you know, why why they're in jail. They don't really give any explanation other than possibly the description that you see. Um, it's just, they're just drawn really weird. I think a lot of it has to do with the face and the eyes. Um, that would be like the, if I could pinpoint like one thing, I think that, where their eyes are faced on their place. Obviously, I think that's a stylistic choice more so than, like, I wouldn't, I never want to say, like, an artist work is, is bad. I Sometimes those are stylistic choices, but I, I agree. I think that um, almost all of the eyes are drawn the same, and for eyes on a larger woman versus a very skinny woman, like, facial shapes are going to be a little bit different, but... Georgia tries to be friends with Vlad, and Vlad is not having it. He lets her have it. Yeah, they're they're sitting at, at dinner, um, basically talking over uh, what looks like what I think it's like mil- a milkshake and some pie. And you can definitely that's where they have this moment where he's like, you know, you had sex, and she's like, well, no, we didn't really have sex. Uh, let's change the subject. Cassie, uh, this is not the first time Cassie's been arrested either, because she got uh, arrested by the Miss America woman who was running the government agency trying to re, um, you know, rehabilitate uh, slashers. And that, that issue I haven't read. That's one of the first issues of the entire hack slash mythos. Which... Um, that was, was one that of the, in, uh, the. That was the. That was in. Vol, that was in Omnibus Volume One, and it is one of the first one shots. Slice hard. Let me double, because there is no way that I missed that one. Maybe I ended up starting with Volume Two. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there was the first. The first hack slash one shot is hack slash period, and then there's hack slash uh, girls gone dead, which is like a girls gone wild kind of thing. Um, See, that's the one that I recall starting is the where they're on like spring break in in Florida. There is a series prior to that that first introduces Chris and Lisa as well. It's called Hack Slash. That's it. However, in trade paperbacks, it's called Hack Slash Euthanized. Um, and Cassie and Vlad and uh, Cassie is luring a guy out for some sex. She's dressed as a sexy cheerleader. And you think in the first few pages the person stalking them is the serial killer, when in fact it's Vlad, and the guy that Cassie is going to bone is actually the serial killer. Then we have to deal with like um, a, a storyline that involves like um, the Toxic Avenger kind of. There's like a slightly mentally challenged person who's um, 
you know, he's the janitor and they accidentally trick him into getting himself killed and he comes back as the evil slasher. In the veterinarian's office? Uh-huh. Lisa's office. Like he's taking care of the kids? Yeah. Lisa's office. Yep. And Chris is there as well. Again, this is the first appearance as well as Chris and Lisa. Um, then, two issues later, that's Sliceheart. After the... Uh, after the um, Two or three issues later is Sliceheart. Sliceheart happens just prior... Sorry. Sliceheart happens just prior to uh, the Hackslash-Chucky crossover and after the four, the first uh, miniseries, which was the uh, Toys Coming to Life issues. That was one of my favorite issues, the the Chucky issue. That one I just read re- um, again recently. Right. And the whole body switching, I love that. So, okay, going back into issue 20, uh, Cassie is kidnapped, and uh, when she wakes up, she is tied to a tree wearing a cut-off camp counselor uh, midriff t-shirt of some kind, uh, green shorts. And the shorts, shortest, like, little shorts, too. Tiny, itty-bitty little shorts, and she has a six-pack of beer, a bong, a roll-up condoms, a skin mag, I'm assuming some lube, um, a butterfly, an anal toy, and a regular dildo. <laughs> um, and she's like, well, I know what this is, slasher bait. I'm guessing that the the beer, the drugs, and the, the sex material is supposed to summon the slashers because they said that these are the things that will summon slashers. Um, mm-hmm. And the Black Label, Black Lamp Society, who are basically the town folk themselves, uh, dressed up in gaudy-looking costumes with looks like skin masks. That's what I thought it was like. It was either like paper bag or like other skin faces on them. Right. Um, if this was a movie, would you believe that Cassie would have to have the actress would have to have that shirt taped to her breast to stop her from popping out? Oh my goodness, for sure. Um, the- or that there would have been some like. I don't know, Janet Jackson style edits. The um uh, I love the fact that Cassie uses one of the dildos to block a knife. <laughs> I guess yep. a dildo is that thick that it could probably block a knife, right? Or at least be wielded as some type of weapon of, of force. Yeah. Right, right. Because you see it like get like the, the dildo gets like halfway sliced through, but it, it stops right before her face. We always uh we always have to mention because the artist changes a lot between the issues, unless it's uh, uh, Emily Stone or Tim Seeley himself, because Tim does draw these. The size of Cassie's breasts change per artist. I've noticed that, and even um, Vlad's face. Sometimes he's drawn a lot more human-looking. Sometimes he definitely looks like a monster. That's definitely one of the biggest changes, too. Gray, green, brown. He changes colors many, many times. At the at the front of these comic books, by the way, and I I try not to mention this every episode, but they always say in development to be a major motion picture from Rogue Pictures. Rogue Pictures was a film company that was going to make a hack slash movie, and there have been three attempts to make a hack slash movie. Um, I could possibly be having the director writer of one of these hack slash movies on my show. That project has been canceled and was not canceled due to COVID-19. It was just canceled because nobody can get their act together and make a hack slash movie. But at one point, Megan Fox and Michael Clark Duncan were in the talks to be cast as Cassie and the Lad. Ooh. So when I was thinking, when I was um, reading these issues, I was thinking about, um, I think, say, Aubrey Plaza would have been a good choice. Or maybe even Jessica Ritter, if it had maybe been pre-Jessica Jones. 
I, I would totally cast um, either of them. Jessica Ritter maybe like 10 years ago, yes, but not Jessica yeah, Ritter like now. Yeah, like 10 years ago, like pre-Jessica Jones, maybe like in that time when she was doing Breaking Bad, I could see her as this character. Right. Um, someone even said Kat Denning, and I was like, no, first of all, Kat Denning's voice would annoy the shit out of me, and also, I really would like somebody who's a little bit more petite to play Cassie, and Kat Denning has a ginormous triple E chest. Kat Dennings, I, I think that she's absolutely beautiful. And I, especially with her triple E chest, they would definitely need to use the tape to tape down some of Cassie's outfits, even though I wouldn't mind seeing her in them. But I think that um, she's a, a little bit too fancy for me. I think that I would like to see a more down to earth actress play her. Then Sam Hain shows up, and how he finds her is probably because that's the summoning. That's that's how he does it. And they kind of team up to take these people down, and then Cassie completely passes out. And uh, I, I don't know. His costume's okay. Pumpkin mask, black hoodie. Um, he skins somebody alive. Alice, I believe, is the person's name. Uh, why the ritual for this girl? She destroys the preparers, the others like you. So basically they wanted their revenge on Cassie because Cassie is the you know killer of killers. And they're kind of tired of her butting her nose in where it doesn't belong every five minutes. And, you know, I think that's a good end to this this arc because they don't want her to do that. She They're tired of her doing this when in all reality she's tired of doing this too. Uh, being skinned alive, not something I ever want to experience. Whew, skinned alive and then it looks like she's set on fire. Yeah. So just salt on top of the wound. Reminds me of uh, the guy who shot uh, Tara the Witch on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow's lesbian girlfriend. Oh, yeah. The ads for the for these issues are extensive, but they're repeated pretty much most of the time. We have a Battlestar Galactica action figure ad, which is in every single issue. Um, but the one thing I do want to point out um, and focus on is there was an ad for Halloween, the first death of Laurie Strode, um... Tim Seeley had worked on the other ha uh, Halloween uh, comic books. This comic book by Devil's Due Press only saw two issues published and then was canceled. Um, this was supposed to lead into how Laurie Strode escaped the end of Halloween 2, going into Halloween H2O, um, and retconning that Halloween 4, 5, and 6 happened in H2O. But now with the Halloween franchise the way it is, there's only Halloween, and then, then Halloween 2018, and then Halloween Kills, which is supposed to be mm -hmm. coming out later this year, but I think is going to be pushed back to next year because of COVID-19. Um, the cancellation I, of the hack slash, I'm sorry, the cancellation of the Halloween comic books by Devil's Due Press was the beginning of the end of Devil's Due Press. Devil's Due Press started hitting some financial problems and some other issues, which we are going to have the president and owner of Devil's Due Press on the show with us at some point to give his side of the story about what happened to Devil's Due Press, because there is a hackslash Mercy Sparks crossover that happens. It's always unfortunate to see these smaller publishers um, eventually dissolve, especially because we do get to see a lot more creative um, storylines and we get to see people who... Um, in my opinion, like much more diverse cast, we get to see a little bit of a different slice of life than we would say in the big two with Marvel and DC. Um, but eventually the series does go over to image. 
Yes, it does. And there's more to the story of what happened with Devil's Due Press that Tim Seeley has gone over with me. Um, and some of it is not good, and some of it's understandable, but uh, from the creator side of things, I'm uh, going to say that it's it wasn't a lot of... Uh, it's it's what happens to a lot of independent comic book companies. Money, paying people, bad decisions, things like that. Yep. Uh, I think that's one of the, it's for a comic book creator, whether you're on like the writer side, the artist side, the colorist side, um, there are so, with so many different publishers and I'm not going to name names, but there's one or two publishers that I hear just are absolutely atrocious with paying their creators and they're some of the I'm I'm probably never going to buy from those specific publishers because I know that um, these three issues have been collected in the Omnibus Volume 3 actually it's the first story in the Omnibus Volume 3 and it's one giant story too so the covers for these issues are in the back of Volume 3 so the covers usually in the Omnibus are in the back right yeah, that's what I'm flipping through right now, digitally flipping through. Okay, here we go. And Got it. Okay, so, wow. Ooh, I love this. Uh, there is one cover I love in particular. It's for comic the 40th anniversary of Comic-Con. It is a uh, Tim Seeley-drawn cover of, Ka- of Vlad Manning, Manning the Devil's Due Press table at Comic-Con, and Cassie... Um, in a uh, tiny micro miniskirt, uh, her traditional black gloves, striped socks, and a uh, low-cut tank top holding her bat. Uh, just a really, really incredibly sexy drawn t- image by Tim Seeley. Um, there's a black-and-white image in the back of Cassie holding the Kiss It bat wearing a skull uh, bra and panties, which I have this image um, of her actually not, uh, sorry, topless. Oh, so there was was there like an additional variant or just a like a Tim a drawn pinup? variant that you could pick up from him. Got it. Uh, oh, okay. So the other co- one of the other covers by by uh, Tim and Katie D'Souza is the same thing. Cassie is wearing the skull uh, bra and panties, uh, or it's a bathing suit maybe, um, and she's pulling on the string of the bottoms of it, and she's holding her signature baseball bat with blood and gore dripping off of it. This is actually something I would love to have tattooed on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be a good tattoo. Uh, but yeah, so all the covers for these for these issues are in the back of Omnibus Volume Three. They happen to be after the Hack Slash Gentleman's uh, Ghost. I think that's the name of the the, the story. Uh, Gentleman's Ghost uh, comic book, uh, which we will get to, which I will get to at the very end of the Devil's Due Press run, which we are kind of coming to, but not quite yet. Those are all the notes I have here for this issue of uh, this episode of Goth Girl Horror. I'd like to thank Jennifer for joining me for this episode of Goth Girl Horror and going over these three issues in one complete storyline. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Where can people find you online? Um, so as of right now, most of the content and reviews that I publish are really just on Instagram, on Gin and Comics. Um, like I said, I do reviews for the Comic Lounge, so you can see a handful of reviews, mostly sci-fi comic books. And then um, you can also find me co-hosting the um, Inked Panels Graphic Novel Book Club. Um, Those are going to be mostly where you can find me as of right now. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us, as uh, I do really appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll be back. I'll be back in two weeks with the next exciting episode of Hackslash. The next... Ah, God damn it, I just fucked up my ex show. And I'll be back in a couple weeks with the next exciting episode of Goth Girl Horror, the official Hackslash podcast. Who you're gonna stop tonight Let the villains know that she's looking for